Today is May 25th, 2021, and today we will do a deep dive into socialism. I'm your host, Austin Taylor, and this is Split the Difference Podcast. Here we take a look at both sides of the political aisle as we try to bridge the gap between today's biggest issues. Remember, times may be divisive, and we may not always agree, but together we can stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends, Split the Difference family. We have another fantastic episode for you here today on this Tuesday. We're going to be doing another one of our deep dive episodes back by fan favorite uh, into a subject that I feel like uh, is controversial in a lot of ways. It is talked about uh, on a wide variety of different news channels, and the debate is all over the political spectrum from both the left and the right with a wide variety of varying opinions. This is part two of a three-part series where I am going through and trying to do a deep dive into the three biggest socio, social and economic um types of structures that we see in the world. We started with communism about two weeks ago. Now we're heading into socialism today, and we will finish up with capitalism here over the next couple weeks. Hopefully, this will be an informative podcast for you. My goal in this podcast, as always, when I do my deep dives, is to remove as much of my opinion as possible from the episode so that I can present the facts to you and the research that I have done so that you can then go and do your own research and formulate your own opinions based upon the information that you have. Um, this is an incredibly interesting topic. Uh, all of these different, uh, these three parts I'm doing, I've honestly been really, really excited about it. Uh, from the research that I've done, it's been very informative. I've definitely learned a lot, and I'm hoping that y'all will learn a lot as well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop on into our only story of the day. What is socialism? So what we will do... Uh, as we normally do, is we're going to break down with a definition, you know, on a high level, what socialism actually is. We'll talk through a little bit of the history and the origins of socialism, how it started, uh, some different areas that socialism has been implemented throughout the world, different nations and different societies, uh, whether, what, you know, some of the good things or the proponents of socialism that they would argue is a good thing, and then what some of the opponents or critics of socialism have to say about it as well. Socialism is uh, extremely interesting uh, because it really is difficult to pin down an extremely specific definition of it. Uh, there really are a wide range, uh, wide varieties of different types of socialism out there, ranging from dictatorial regimes uh, that use it and have implemented it to uh, also like the Nordic states or various states in Europe that have varying degrees of socialist programs at the governmental level. Uh, you will hear a lot about democratic socialism as as well today, which is something that has actually only started to be uh, started to kind of reach a little bit of prominence within about the past 40 years or so, uh, which interestingly enough is, is something that um, a lot of uh, a lot of people I think look at socialism now and are arguing that that's how socialism is now. Uh, that socialism has basically changed in a lot of ways, uh, but that's not how socialism started. So uh, in 1985, roughly, there's a political economic theorist named Wolfgang Streeck, and then he had another. Uh, there was another one as well named Felipe Schmitter, uh, and they actually came out and introduced and coined the term "quote economic governance" uh, to describe basically markets that are not spontaneous but have to be created 
created and maintained by institutions, that is the state, to basically pursue specific objectives uh, and the need to create a market that basically follows their own rules. And that's a lot to say. Uh, basically, there's this new wave of socialism that is happening now that uh, is being implemented and pushed across the vast majority of uh, Western countries, specifically in Western Europe, uh, that looks very, very different than how socialism actually started in its origin. So we're going to get into that and kind of break some of that down uh, a little bit as well. We'll talk a little bit about kind of the mix between socialism and capitalism and some of the differentiations between socialism and communism as well. So uh, broad and uh, I guess overarching definition though of socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization which advocates that the means of production, distribution and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. So that's the Oxford Dictionary definition of it, okay? Uh, in other words, very similar to communism in the sense of a private ownership uh, of the wide variety of different things is not pushed in socialism, okay? Everything should be owned by the collective uh, and the government at the top should be the one regulating all of those things and uh, handing out money and handing out things uh, as they see fit for the society to benefit from as a whole, okay? So now many of you may be sitting there and thinking, how in the world is that different from communism? So communism is both a form of government and an ideology. Um, as the latter, as the ideology, it predicts a dictatorship of the proletariat established through violence in the eventual disappearance of class and state, okay? And then the form of government is uh, it's equivalent in principle to the dictatorship of the proletariat and in practice to the dictatorship of communists. So the idea is socialism is not tied to any specific ideology. Uh, it basically is compatible with democracy in some ways uh, and is okay with peaceful political change, okay? So socialism is basically like the step down from communism in a lot of ways where uh, communism is going to require the proletariat or the working class. And I'm going to be using some terms here that uh, I went through and defined in my communism episode. So if you haven't listened to that, it may be of benefit for you to, to listen to that episode as well. But uh, communism requires the working class or the proletariat to rise up through class warfare and through violent means in order to take over and usurp the government as a whole in order to establish this sort of utopian commonwealth that the government will then distribute down to the people from the top, okay? Socialism does not require that type of class warfare, okay? Uh, socialism was around for a long time before communism was, uh, although not a lot of people know like the true origins of socialism in terms of like a specific thinker. It's not tied to one specific person. There are a group of people that kind of uh, collectively got around uh, and advocated for it and pushed for it in different governments, which we'll talk a little bit about, especially Lenin and during the Bolsheviks during the 1900s, uh, a really clear uh, a socialist government that was established there in Russia or formerly the Soviet Union. Um, communism, however, took socialism and it took it a step forward through the ideologies and the writings of Karl Mar Marx by basically requiring the working class to rise up and defeat the people at the top in order to assume control. Socialism, however, wants that communal uh, wealth sharing and a wealth redistribution. However, uh, socialism is okay with that being done in the confines of a democracy as opposed to a dictatorship, although there are socialist dictatorships as well. So, um, uh, what are some of the history and origins around socialism? So 
Uh, socialism wasn't formulated or put together, like I said earlier, by one thinker that kind of is credited with the ideas. It instead was kind of piecemealed together from a variety of different thinkers, primarily during the 18th and 19th centuries. All of them were trying to find ways to run an economy and a social structure that was sort of in opposition to capitalism. So socialism had its roots uh, in a lot of ways. It as a, as a dichotomy to capitalism uh, and a lot of the excesses and abuses that were seen or, or, or that were apparent during the liberal individualism uh, that capitalism kind of purported during the Industrial Revolution. So under early capitalist economies, which would have been primarily the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, um, especially during the late 18th and 19th centuries, Western European countries primarily experienced a gigantic industrial production uh, and a, a compounding economic growth that that exploded at an incredibly rapid rate during the industrial revolution okay um, many European countries, uh, I mean, ex experienced an absolute boom in productivity and some individuals and families rose to riches and rose to the top very, very quickly. Okay. While others, uh, kind of were pushed down into poverty and in destitution at an extremely rapid pace as well. Income and wealth inequality absolutely skyrocketed with many claiming that those at the top were taking advantage of those beneath them. Okay. And a new gigantic working class of people was created. So prior to the Industrial Revolution, the vast majority of people lived and worked in an agrarian life of primarily substance farming. Okay, As a result, there wasn't a gigantic wealth gap between the haves and half-nots outside of uh, most of the time monarchies that were sitting at the top that lived in this incredibly lavish uh, type of lifestyle that was very, very different from the people that were kind of living and working on their farms on, from day to day. Uh, but there wasn't a large amount of rich people. And then, you know, this huge, huge wealth gap and this gigantic amount of working class underneath them that were somewhat, you know, being quote unquote exploited by those people at the top. It was really just a family or a monarchy at the very top of the vast majority of these societies in Western Europe. So we will talk about this significantly more in the capitalism podcast because capitalism uh, kind of got its roots and was able to be established because of a lot of this. Uh, but one of the key reasons why the Industrial Revolution was actually able to take place was uh, in large part because of incredible increases in the efficiencies of farming. So for all of human history, up until around the 17th and the 18th centuries, the vast majority of the population had to farm because they were really only able to farm enough to provide for themselves and maybe have a little bit extra to sell at local markets, okay? There was, there was not a ton of, uh, a, a lot of, there was, of course there were markets and of course there were areas of trade. However, the vast majority of the population, uh, farmed because they had to, in order to be able to live and survive, they could really only produce enough food for themselves. Uh, due to incredible expansions in technology, though, in the 17th and 18th centuries, uh, people were allowed for the first time to farm significantly more acres of land uh, at, at a much more efficient pace, all right? There was new knowledge around how to farm and produce more crops on a smaller amount of land. So, and you know, basically saying if you were able to, uh, you know, have one acre of land and produce 10 ears of corn off of that one acre of land before, because of new technology, you now we're able to, you know, produce a hundred ears of corn off of that one acre of land. All right. 
Uh, and all of that allows for people to be freed up to pursue jobs elsewhere and thus increase the number of laborers uh, and urbanization pretty much started to boom as a result of it. Um, so people started to leave their family and local farms in search of jobs and large manufacturers in the city. So the creators and the founders of these new technologies in these manufacturing plants all of a sudden not only had laborers to produce the product that they were trying to make, but they also had a gigantic population of people that was now willing and able to buy the product as well, resulting in people accumulating a gigantic amount of wealth incredibly quickly, faster than just about any other time in history. Um, while people were working in and operating sweatshops, oftentimes for 12 or 14 hours a day for pennies on the dollar. And, and you see a lot of pictures, and I'm sure if you've done any research or if you remember anything from school about learning about the Industrial Revolution, uh, you see all the gray and the, the black and white and the gray pictures uh, of the little kids that were going in and working in a lot of these textile mills or uh, workshops uh, where you have kids as, as young as seven, eight, nine years old working 10, 11, or 12 hours a day in order to be able to bring, up, bring home enough money to give to their family. Uh, and then the family would then in turn, because they couldn't, you know, they're not living on a farm anymore. They have to go out and purchase their food. So an entire industry is created off of getting food off of farms that farmers are growing and taking it into the city. They have to be wearing uh, clothes all day long, right? So they, instead of making their own clothes on the farm, they have to go out and purchase clothes now that are being made in these gigantic textile mills. Uh, and it kind of created uh, this, this gigantic manufacturing and industrial boom. And this is kind of what led to the principles of socialism being founded. Essentially, the beginning of socialism said that it is unfair for anyone to have more or higher or a higher economic status than anyone else, and that everyone should be on a completely level playing field. They basically looked at some of the products from the Industrial Revolution, and they said, something is wrong here. There are a lot of people that are treating, being treated incredibly unfairly, so there needs to be a different, a different form of government that is going to allow for the communal sharing of all of the production uh, that is that is made throughout the entirety of an economy. So, how does socialism work? Okay, so the key to understanding socialism is that uh, it is somewhat similar to communism in the sense that socialism pushes for the collective ownership of the means of production. Okay, in a purely socialist system. All legal production and distribution decisions are made by the government, and individuals rely on the state for everything from food to health care to whatever it may be, okay? The government determines the output and the pricing levels of the goods and services. So you have the government at the top, and they control every single thing that is produced in the economy, okay? So if you have one person that's working over here to, you know, to produce t-shirts, right? Shirts and clothes for people to wear, and then you have one person over here that is a doctor that is making sure that uh, people are uh, taken care of and they're healthy. The government at the top will say, okay, well, we need 100 shirts to be produced this week and we will need to make sure that uh, we are spending X amount of dollars in research to make sure that we are keeping uh, our populace healthy, okay? The government decides uh, how and when everything ends up getting done and being produced. So socialists contend that shared ownership of, resource, of resources and central planning provides a more equal distribution of goods and services and a more equitable society. So if you have a 
a government at the top that is deciding how everybody gets and receives all of the goods and services that are within the economy, then the idea is basically that everyone then gets a totally fair share of everything within the economy together. Citizens in a social in a socialist society rely on the government for for absolutely everything. Proponents of socialism believe uh, that the ideals include uh, production for use rather than production for profit. Okay, and this is a this is a very clear and marked difference from capitalism. Okay, you want to include production for use of that good or service, not for the profit on that good and surface. An equitable distribution of wealth and material resources among all people. So there's no more competitive buying and selling in a marketplace. And everyone has free access to goods and services uh, as long as those goods and services are provided by the government. Okay. In other words, people are paid not based upon the skill level of their work or how difficult it was to complete, but everyone is paid for the time that they work, okay? So I'll say that again. Everybody is paid for the time that they work, not for the skill level or for the difficulty of the job. Thus, everyone is essentially and theoretically paid the exact same thing. Okay, the underpinning of socialism is a direct disagreement with a lot of some of the philosophical principles that undergird an economy um, that would be established on a capitalist ideal. So, for example, what is the role of a government? What are the rights of people and how do those actually play out in day to day life? Who should be in control of personal property? Should there even be personal property? What roles do justice and equality play in an economy or a social structure? Right. All of these questions are are questions that socialism is going to disagree with capitalism on uh, in a gigantic way. Okay, so a socialist belief uh, would believe that justice and equality of outcome are the most important things to be guarded. Okay, and this is done at the hand of a large bureaucratic government that moves and controls every single means of the daily life, so that the poor and destitute essentially can't be taken care of, take, can't be taken advantage of on a large scale because nobody is out trying to profit off of those poor people. A lot of socialist uh, criticism of capitalism is basically. You have people that are getting wealthy off of the backs of and take by taking advantage of people that are poor and that are destitute and have no means by which to raise themselves up out of their destitution, okay? Socialism does not necessarily claim to solve the problem of poverty by making everyone rich, okay? And that's kind of one of the, that's one of the, the, the key market difference from capitalism. Capitalism would basically say, uh, we want to create so much wealth that we are, uh, yes, there are going to be differences and, and, um, and basically the quality of life of one person or another. However, everyone's quality of life is going to be brought up a significant amount, okay? There are going to be some people that are extremely wealthy and some people that are uh, relatively unwealthy, but capitalism basically promises to solve the problem of poverty by making everyone more wealthy, right? Whereas socialism claims to solve the problem of poverty um, by going through uh, and making sure that everyone uh, is uh, is is on the equ- is on an equal playing field completely, it instead claims that it is not fair or right for there to be rich people at the top that take advantage of poor people for their own benefit. Uh, instead, it says that everyone should be on completely equal footing, being paid for the time that they work by the government. And that government then collects money through everyone pitching in an equal amount in the form of taxes or other or, or other revenues for the government. Okay, so 
A socialist would basically say uh, they, they, they desire wholeheartedly for everyone to be on a completely equal playing field, okay? It doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your height, doesn't matter your sex, doesn't matter where you're from. Everyone is going to be paid the same thing. Everyone is going to receive the same thing because everyone is on an, an entirely equal playing field throughout the entirety of the, of the society, right? And works to break down class hierarchies completely and basically just have a government sitting, you know, hopefully controlled by the people sitting on top of uh, one equal gigantic class of people, right? So there are a few widely popular arguments against socialism and basically critiques of socialism. And we're going to talk through uh, three, all right, three of the big ones that are arguments against socialism. So the first is uh, pretty much the history of socialism and, an att and its attempts to be implemented in various countries. This is also one of the big critiques of communism as well. So uh, many point to the incredible failings of the socialist Soviet Union and Maoist China of the 20th centuries as examples of what happens where there is a socialist central planning at the highest level of government and uh, the, the gigantic failings and the massive amount of people that died of starvation, the massive amount of people that died at the hands of dictatorial regimes there in Soviet Russia, the Soviet Union, and Maoist China in the 20th century. Many opponents point at that and they say, this is the inevitable outcome of what happens when you have a socialist government and central planning taking place. Because many opponents say that there will inevitably be corruption in any type of governmental structure, right? And that socialism pretty much hands the entirety of the power over all of the people to an incredibly powerful government that is centralized and has all control at the very, very top over all of the people. And that power can then be taken advantage of very, very easily in order to undermine and hurt the people at the, at, within the society. Right. So opponents point at uh, a wide variety of different places that have tried socialism and that have failed in socialism. And they say, uh, this is what's going to happen if you implement socialism. Anytime that you have a large bureaucratic government that controls things from the top, corruption is bound and is inevitable to seep into that, into the, all of the structures within that government. And as a result, people will be taken advantage of and bad things inevitably will happen. Okay. So the next argument against socialism is actually the argument of incentive. So Opponents say that there are no way to in, there are no ways to incentivize people to do dangerous but necessary jobs within a socialist economy because they are not being paid more to do so. Okay, so the argument here is pretty much why would you choose to go and work on an oil rig or a weld steel on skyscrapers or be a lumberjack out in you know the wilderness of Oregon in order to be able to you know get lumber that people need for houses and buildings and everything else? Why would you go and do all those incredibly dangerous jobs if you're just going to be paid the exact same amount as someone else that has a far less dangerous or life-threatening job that may work as an accountant or at the DMV? or wherever else, right? And this may be more of a desk job. Opponents argue that the increased opportunity at higher pay underneath a capitalist society is what convinces people to take the risk to do the more dangerous occupations and what makes it worth it as an individual choice. So, in other words, nobody's going to go out and do an incredibly dangerous job if there's not some sort of incentive to 
talk them into or coax them into taking on that that extra level of risk. Capitalism, and we'll talk about this as well in the Capitalism Podcast, but uh, capitalism basically relies upon this risk and reward framework. Everyone, that every individual is balancing this risk and balancing the reward for that risk. I.e., if there's more risk, then there arguably should always be more reward for that risk, Right. And so uh, someone that is going out and working on an oil rig may be getting paid $150,000 or $175,000 a year. However, every single day, their life is in danger of being taken from them because they're working in an incredibly uh, dangerous and life-threatening job. And they may be away from their families for eight or nine months a year, right? There's a lot of trade-offs there. And they basically say that if you're going to, if someone is going to choose to do that, they're only going to choose to do that if they're going to be paid significantly more or if there's other uh, maybe societal or, or, or pressures around them that would be of benefit to them for taking that job. So socialists argue for or basically against the whole incentive argument from capitalists by saying that there are plenty of very, very dangerous jobs that do not pay very well in comparison to others that people choose to take every single day because they believe that they should or because they think that uh, that's just something they're called to or that they believe that they would like to do over others. So great examples may be a police officer or a firefighter. So a police officer, firefighter in our society, uh, for the most part, are, are some of the more lower paying jobs that you can actually get within our society uh, that are a full-time salaried position right? Uh, most cops start out making uh, uh, right around the same same salary as maybe like a teacher or um, somebody that maybe doesn't have nearly as dangerous of a job, but they choose to take that job because maybe they've always wanted to be a police officer or they feel like they want to be able to protect their communities well, or maybe that was just the only job they wanted to get or that they felt like that they could get, right? People choose to take those jobs where a police officer's life is threatened every single day. A firefighter's life is threatened every single time that he runs into a a house that is burning down. However, they are not paid like a doctor is, right? Or they're not paid like a lawyer is. They are paid uh, significantly less even though they have incredibly dangerous jobs. So a socialist would basically say it doesn't necessarily have to be incentive uh, and in form of payment in order to convince someone to go in and do a dangerous job like a capitalist would. So uh, the last thing that we'll talk about in terms of a criticism of socialism uh, is basically that uh, it inevitably will lead to more poverty and not less poverty because there's no way that the government can efficiently provide for the needs of every single person in the society because they can't efficiently allocate scarce resources or scarce resources without a market price attached to them. So a great example of this is food. Okay, food is considered a scarce resource because there's always a need to make more of it. There's always going to be consumption of food. There will always need to be a replenishing of the quantity or uh, the the amount of food that there is in a society because it will always be being taken away and there will always need to be uh, more of it made. Uh, opponents to socialism argue that the government can't possibly allocate food in a perfect way to every single member of a society because there will always be corruption, surpluses, and shortages uh, around that resource as a whole. There, you will never be able to perfectly create the, the exact right amount of food to feed every single person to, in a society uh, to their want in, in a way that they'd be happy with and equally distribute all of that food and the exact amount that would make every single person happy, right? Um, and that's because that's impossible. There's no way you can do that. 
So um, it will be very, very difficult, in other words, for the government to control all of the production over a scarce resource like food, and it will eventually lead to people going hungry. So many opponents point to uh, an example of this uh, that actually is something that's very recent in the, in the form of Venezuela. So Venezuela had a socialist government. I was in place uh, that kind of ruled and, and it was more of a dictatorial regime uh, that had control from the top down and uh, they were allocating food to everybody. Okay. And before long, people were lined up in bread lines waiting hours and hours to receive bread using currency that was being absolutely destroyed by inflation. Right. And many, many opponents of socialism point at that example and they say, look, this is what inevitably is going to happen because there's no way that you can feed millions and millions and millions of people in a perfect way coming from one centralized source at the top in the government, okay? And there not be some sort of corruption and some sort of terrible stuff happening. The people at the top of that Venezuelan government were eating just fine. No person at the top of the Venezuelan government was worried about going hungry, right? Yet there were people wrapped around buildings all over the country uh, in order to be able to just get bread for their family for the week uh, because they had no other means by which to get it. So uh, currently there are a, a pretty wide variety of different ways that socialism is conducted uh, in and throughout the world. And one of the most difficult things about socialism today is that many economies now actually have a, a, a pretty large mix between capitalist free markets and socialist markets that are heavily controlled through regulation and government oversight. And it's because of this mixing, it's very, very difficult to pinpoint exactly which parts of the society that are working well and what parts, what exactly parts uh, of the society that, uh, that are working well, what is actually causing it, right? So great examples of these are the Nordic countries, okay, which are heavily socialized in a wide variety of different markets, especially healthcare, especially different social welfare programs as well. Um, and they're socialized and, and regulated in such a, such a heavy way from the top down uh, that many people, uh, for example, have a large portion of their income taken out in taxes every single day. All of the roads are built by the government. A lot of the buildings are built by governments. Uh, all of their health care is completely taken care of. Uh, if they were to lose their job, then the government is, will pay for, the, pay for it. If they want to take a break from their job, uh, any type of like leave or family leave that's paid for by the government, right? And uh, many now, they call themselves uh, democratic socialists. So, for example, like Bernie Sanders or uh, an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez within the United States would pur purport to be democratic socialists, i.e. that they want socialist policies and socialist markets within a, within the, within a uh, they specifically say the United States, but within a country that is kind of undergirded by a democratic process and, and capitalist markets in some markets, right? And so socialists nowadays are basically saying there are some markets that we're okay with being spontaneous and being more geared towards a capitalist type of free market. And there are other markets that should be extremely heavily regulated and should be taxed very, very heavily and should be controlled by the government. One of the most popular ones is healthcare. So the Nordic countries a long time ago socialized their healthcare markets completely so that the government is the one that's in control of it. And many point to this and they say that this is a very good thing because there's no reason why people should be going without health care if you have the means by which to provide the health care to every single person in that society. So nor these Nordic countries are kind of built upon the back of 
capitalist structures underneath in terms of a financial market, in terms of private property ownership. Uh, you can own a car, you can own a house, you can, you can have ways to invest your money uh, in order to accumulate wealth. However, you're taxed at a high, high rate and you have a lot of regulation upon you in order to be able to redistribute a lot of that wealth from the top down to help those that are the lowest in the society. Um, so a ton of socialists now point to these societies and say that those are the ideal form of socialist governments because the markets that are socialized provide for the needs of the poor because wealth is redistributed from the top down. And, uh, and they also uh, provide for people that are impoverished or in some, for, some sort or form of destitution uh, through social welfare programs, right? And you're, you're able to see that in the United States as well. Uh, the United States is not some type of free market, completely free market capitalist society, uh, nearly as much as many people would like to think so. In fact, the United States, in terms of its freedom, uh, freedom of markets, is actually, I believe, not even in the top 30 in the world. Uh, I'd have to look that statistic back up. But uh, interestingly enough, if you think about uh, all of the things that are socialized within the United States, it really is probably the majority of the things that you see and that you interact with on the daily basis. You just don't necessarily think about it. So, for example, education uh, is totally socialized in the United States outside of private schools that you can choose to send your kids to. You have the freedom to choose to send your kids if you if you are able to afford it to private schools. Uh, but however, the vast majority of the population is educated under a socialist a socialized educational, publicly funded uh, educational programs. Uh, there are a wide variety of different uh, welfare programs and social welfare programs uh, from unemployment benefits that are given out by the government to uh, disability, uh, social security, Medicaid, and Medicare. There are a large variety of different socialized markets within the United States that are controlled and regulated by the federal government, right? However, the United States has one of the most vibrant uh, financial markets in the entire world, right? We, uh, we don't produce the vast majority of the goods that are within the United States. However, we finance the goods and how, and how the goods are created all over the world, right? So uh, the United States is able to kind of build an economy up on the back of capitalism, uh, but it has a, a wide variety of other different socialist uh, markets that are kind of controlled by the government within it. Uh, and many people, uh, especially on the left side of the aisle in the United States, are pushing to socialize more things like healthcare. That's a huge push on the in the Democratic Party right now. Healthcare needs to be socialized according to them uh, because uh, it, it allows for the government to be able to take care of people that are uh, maybe being taken advantage of or that are destitute or in poverty right now. So uh, g socialism and capitalism are, in a lot of ways, kind of uh, complete dichotomies. Uh, however, it gets very interesting because they can mix together uh, in economic frameworks and have been uh, you know, kind of mixed together in successful ways uh, in a variety of different places. Uh, currently, socialism and the definition of it Capitalism and the definition of it are changing a bit as our world is changing, uh, as these ideas are evolving and forming more, as different countries are, are practicing and putting some of these different things into place. Uh, the definitions of socialism are changing. Uh, if you look, if you were to ask somebody, 
in the early 1900s, what the definition of socialism was, they would say that private property ownership was t was abhorrent, that the government should control everything from the top down. Whereas if you ask Bernie Sanders, or if you ask even some of the people that are kind of more on the far left-leaning uh, side of politics in Western European countries that kind of push for socialism now, they would not go nearly as far to say that uh, Lenin's socialism that was implemented in, so in the Soviet Union in the early 1900s uh, is the ideal or the perfect form of socialism, right? They would probably say something that looks uh, a pretty good bit different from Lenin's socialism of the early 1900s because it didn't really work, honestly. So uh, with all of that, I think that is going to go ahead and wrap up our show for today. I hope that this was beneficial, that it was educational, it was informative. Uh, I'm sure that many of you, like me, have a lot more research that you can and will want to do around this subject. If you do have any questions around any of it, or if you have points that you feel like I didn't hit on or talk about nearly enough, find me on Instagram or on YouTube. Shoot me a message or a DM or comment on the post. And let me know what you guys think. I think this is a topic that needs to be talked about much more. You know, many people need to be educated a lot more on a lot of these different socio and economic uh, frameworks that we're seeing throughout the world because it's talked about and debated a lot, but not a lot of people actually have a good amount of information around it. So I hope it was beneficial and informative to you um, and, you know, that you guys will be able to use this kind of fund more research that you're doing on your own. So with all that having been said, that is the end of our show. As always, y'all remember to do your best to stay level-headed, always be reasonable, and of course, let's split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. Thank you for listening to Split the Difference Podcast, written, recorded, and hosted by Austin Taylor. If you're interested in getting in touch with me on Instagram, you can find me at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference and on my website at splitthedifference.com. Production for the intro and outro music done by Rosewood Records Recording Studio. If you're interested in booking or learning more about them, you can reach them on Facebook or Instagram at Rosewood Records SC or on their website, www.rosewoodrecordssc.com.